So we'll begin with a quiz. Professors do that kind of thing, so here we go. Check the box that makes the most sense to you. This should be on your screen. Box number one, the church is a human social organization like any other and can be analyzed accordingly. Or, the church is a spiritual community founded by Christ and cannot be analyzed according to merely human categories. All right, so who chooses the first box? Chris Faulkner, I knew it would be you. All right, who chooses the second box? Who chooses both boxes? You pass. We can continue our our sermon. I do think personally that the best answer is both and, not either or. I tend to be a both and thinker anyway, and I think that's true here. The church is, in fact, a human social organization, and it can be analyzed that way. In fact, there's a category for, the, for what we are. Uh, we are a membership-based voluntary association that is found in the nonprofit sector and is supported primarily by the free will gifts of our members. And so in one sense, that's what we are. And that puts us in the same category as any other voluntary association that is membership-based, that is nonprofit, and that is supported uh, primarily by the contributions of its members. And it also puts us in competition with every other such group in the world. And so we compete, for example, on Sunday morning for attenders and members uh, with other churches. We compete with them. We compete with other associations of what people can do with their time and with their loyalty and with their money. The effectiveness of a congregation in attracting and retaining members in deepening their loyalty and participation is very important, at least if one cares about the survival and flourishing of that organization. Now, a lot of people these days are saying that "Ah, they don't care so much about the church as an organization. It's the spiritual message that matters. And I definitely get that. But this particular church, which has been around since the 1860s, has a future only if, at one level, if it continues to be successful in attracting and retaining people, deepening their loyalty, and getting that to be passed on from one generation to the next. I care about that happening, and I know most of you do too. It is possible to develop expertise in the dynamics of successful voluntary associations, including churches. Any church needs to have people in it who are reading and thinking and strategizing about these issues. It's appropriate for a church to make use of expertise in the congregation or outside of it and put that expertise to work in hard-headed and realistic ways. And this congregation has sometimes done that in the past, bringing in consultants and reading the literature and that kind of thing. But if you check the second box, you would agree that that's certainly not all there is to being a healthy church. The church is more than a human association The church is also a spiritual reality. How we understand everything about the church, church health, church growth, and our proper functioning as church cannot be left entirely to organizational theory specialists. We must attend to what the Bible says about what the church is. And I think our two passages today can help. 
Romans 12.4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. I like this line especially. And individually we are members one of another. And then 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, I like the word ministries there, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities or accomplishments, but the same God who activates or empowers all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul was the first theologian of the church. And one fundamental element in his theology of the church was his claim that the church is the body of Christ on earth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who you have gathered I have a passing interest in, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right, I think, in taking this claim quite literally. He wrote that ever since the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the place on earth where the body, the actual body of Jesus can be found is the church. The church is the body of Christ. If you want to encounter Christ bodily, go to church, said Bonhoeffer. If you want a hug from Jesus, go to church. That's where you'll find it. Go to church. It's interesting, in the spiritual but not religious sector, how many folks want to have the experience of Christ without the experience of the church? Anyway, like all bodies, the church as Christ's body has many parts. Probably most of us have have been in church sometime when a pastor laboriously compared the different members of the church to different body parts. So I think I'll do that right now for just a moment. So Ann Smith is our left eye. Thank you, Ann. Chris Faulkner is our right hamstring. I think we would all agree. And it's hard not to see Eddie Campbell as our left ventricle. You get the idea. Who's our spleen? We'll we'll save that for later. All right. Also, like all persons, this body has a spirit. That is a Holy Spirit. The spirit of the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit of God. Here's where we connect to the Holy Spirit theme that we've been working on in this series. Paul says that the spirit of the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is always active and busy in the body of Christ. And one thing that the Spirit is doing is distributing spiritual gifts to the various members of the body. Now, you might think I would go right on and do the exposition of the different spiritual gifts that are mentioned, and I'll get there. But I think it's important to to linger about the image itself, the image of the church as the body of Christ, and just kind of play with that image a little bit. So I want us to notice a couple of things about it. To say that the church is the body of Christ is to say something like, the church is a collective living organism. A collective living organism. Even a collective person. We are many but one. We are one living organism here. There was only one Jesus, but now we are collectively the one body of Christ. Now, this certainly applies to the church universal, though it's hard to think about two billion people being one body. It's easier, not easy, but easier 
to think of a local congregation as being a collective living organism. We have people in this congregation who have been here for 60 years. They get it. A collective living organism over many decades. They've seen it. And they heard about what it was like in the 60 years before that. We, us, together, are a collective living organism, the body of Christ as found in First Baptist Church Decatur. You know, the modern world is fiercely individualistic. We are trained every day to think in me terms, not we terms. What do I want? What would make me happy? It's all about the self. But just a bit of thought shows us some of the limits of this, even the disastrous limits of this. And that we are embedded in bigger kinds of entities that, that make life worth living in. Take a family. Got the Tyler family here on the third row. I don't know what you did with David, but tell him he's welcome back anytime, okay? A family is more than a collection of individuals. A family is a collective living organism. It's a community that you have to take care of. So there's families, and these families are alive, but we have the capacity to kill them by our choices or to damage them. Communities also kind of look this way. There are some deeply rooted Decaturites in this church. Decatur is a little community that is more than a collection of individuals. It is a collective living organism. That's true of a nation as well. And it's certainly true of the church. We are a collective living organism. Together, a collective person, kind of like any other person, with a body which has many parts, but one core identity. By the way, without that one core identity, we're really in trouble. One core identity with all parts deeply intertwined and interconnected. This has implications that we have to be reminded of every now and then, and Paul is among those who remind us of the implications. One is this. Because we are one interconnected body, what happens to one happens to all. If one suffers, we all suffer. If one buries a loved one, we are all in that journey with them. If one gets healthier, we all get to celebrate. And this feels true for us existentially to the extent that we are committed and covenantally bound to the community. If our approach to church is to drop in and drop out, not really know very many people, kind of last one in, first one out, you never have this experience. But if you're deeply bound to the life of a church community, you know what it feels like. If one is suffering, you suffer too. If another is celebrating, you celebrate too. If it happens in the body, it happens to all of us. It's a beautiful experience, not always an easy one. Also, because we are one interconnected body, the choices that I make, the choices that you make, affect everybody. If I become a healthier, 
and holier Christian, everyone benefits. If I give in to my worst instincts, everyone is wounded. And that's true of every one of us in this body. The choices we make affect others. We are connected that closely. And we know this. Because we are one interconnected body, if I leave when I get frustrated, it affects the whole body. If I stay and help us all get healthier together, we all benefit. This is why sometimes when people have left this church or other churches, it feels a little bit like an amputation. We lost a body part. There's a cost. Also, because we are one interconnected body, if I use my spiritual gifts, the whole body benefits. If I refuse to do my part, or I allow my gifts or my contribution to weaken, the whole body suffers. Because we are one interconnected body, each doing our own tasks as we are gifted, if I think of myself as more important than you, that's absurd. If I think of myself as less important than you, that's also absurd. If I try to do all the roles of all the different body parts, that's absurd. If I withdraw and do none of the roles, that's also absurd. So the overall picture, I think, is pretty clear. The church is not just a human social organization. It is the living body of Jesus Christ on earth. It contains many parts, which we call members, like anybody does. The church has a spirit. That spirit is the Holy Spirit. That spirit distributes gifts liberally to each part of the body. And these gifts are for the common good, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. The reason any of us are given gifts is for the overall well-being of the body, for the mission and work of the church, for what the body is trying to do in the world. Any gift that a member of the body of Christ manifests should be viewed not just as a natural talent, but as a spiritual gift. Like any other gift, if you get one, you haven't done anything. If you are given a gift at Christmas, you don't have a reason to be proud, you have a reason to be grateful. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 3, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The first proper response to the reception of any gift is gratitude, right? If you're given a gift, you say thanks. Everyone knows that. My mom always emphasized that. She, she made us write thank you notes. If grandma gave us $2 at Christmas, by golly, we were going to write that thank you note before we did anything. Say thank you. You got a gift. But because gifts are given to be used after gratitude, the other proper response is to go out and use the gift for the purpose that it was intended for. Thank you. I'll put it to use. Now, if, you're, if while you're out there using your spiritual gift for the purpose that God intended, you discover another member of the body of Christ using their gift, well, the only proper response to that is more gratitude. 
Thank you, God, that you gave this member this gift. The proper response is never envy, as in, oh God, why did you gift them better than me? Or, I wanted that visible gift, like Daniel Solberg's musical gifts, leave me in awe. And if your visible, less visible gift is managing church records, your gift is not less significant than anybody's gift. And nobody's gift is more significant than anybody's gift. We don't compare in that way. We understand that every gift that is given is for the body of Christ and for the work of the kingdom of God. So what about the actual gifts In the New Testament, there are a variety of lists of these spiritual gifts. No two of them are the same, and we could debate specific words and phrases and so on. But I think the fact that the lists vary allows us to have some freedom in how we interpret what they mean and and, and how we think about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church today. I think it's best to organize the gifts that you have in the New Testament into several broad categories. The first is teaching gifts. In the body of Christ, we need to be taught. We need discernment and communication of the Word of God. We need that in preaching. We need it in worship. We need it in music. We need it in Sunday school classes. We need it in one-on-one conversation. We need it in all kinds of venues. God's Word is like food for the body. We need to be fed well. We don't need to be fed poorly or superficially or with bad, you might say, spiritual nutrition or even with poison. That is often what happens in preaching and teaching. And so there are teaching gifts that are distributed in the body and we need to make use of those gifts all across the life of the, of the faith community. Secondly, there are caregiving gifts. And these caregiving gifts, one of the great privileges of being a pastor is watching these caregiving gifts at work in the community of faith. Compassionate responses to people's suffering is a lot of what the church does. Ministry to those who are ill. Ministry to those who are dying or to family members. Visits, cards, food, phone calls, hugs, hospitality, helping people arrange funerals or whatever. All of these are the caregiving gifts, and they make the body of Christ go. All are expressions of mercy that contribute to healing and hope and the ability to move forward for people who have suffered. And then there are the leadership gifts, like casting vision, setting direction, administering projects, and exhorting the body to fulfill its mission. These are important gifts. And also, though I don't see this included anywhere, every Christian community has a need for this last category, just put me to work. Just put me to work. Right? The body needs humble hands and feet and backs and fingers and shoulders willing to move chairs and pick stuff up off the floor and clean bathrooms and serve tables and be the 12th member of the finance committee. You always need at least 12, right, Ronnie? People who will come to work day, people who will wield a paintbrush, people who will pick up when they see something on the ground. A church needs an awful lot of people whose spirit is, just put me to work. I don't need any credit, I don't need any visibility, just put me to work. Now a word about our church. 
in my eight months as interim pastor, I've been deeply impressed by how well our body of Christ is functioning. And I am grateful to God. It's especially impressive given that it has been two years since this church had a permanent pastor. Two years now. I have appreciated the latitude given to me to exercise whatever gifts I might have, but I've been fully aware that this church is filled with people who have teaching and caregiving and leadership and other gifts. I understand it to be part of a pastor's responsibility to encourage, inspire, and empower people in the congregation to use their gifts. Staff, ministers, lay people need to be given every opportunity to exercise their God-given gifts to the fullest of their ability. On this paradigm that the church is a body with many parts, each member being gifted by the Spirit in some way, it is imperative that we continue to deepen a culture in which each member is a serving member. Nobody's on the sideline. Just as every part of the body has a purpose, every member has a purpose. And we need to create a culture in which each member is given opportunities to grow in, to, in the discernment and deployment of their gifts. In other words, where we are looking at each other asking, how can we help this person use their gifts more fully? A church culture in which it is never, ever about grabbing or hoarding or holding on to power or office or role, but it is always about giving away power giving away opportunity, giving away roles to people who can learn by doing. I see a lot of that spirit in this church, and I, that giving away spirit, and I deeply appreciate it. A great concern I have about the future of the church in our time, including this congregation, is this. We all know that we need to find a way not only to attract people under the age of 40 to want to come to our church and join our church, but we also need to equip them to be serving leaders in our church. We need next generations to take their place in the long line of generations that have been here since the 1860s. We need to apprentice the 20-somethings, the teenagers, the 30-somethings, teach them what we do, and pass the baton to them when it's time. Every, and this is a delicate thing that some churches fail at, but, but I, th I think we are not failing at it, but what we are now learning how to do is to get that apprenticing going and to, and to uh, watch it work itself out. As this happens more and more, we will be reminded once again of God's goodness, that the good gifts of the Holy Spirit did not stop with us. They have been distributed to our children and grandchildren, to the next generation and the one after that. As we see this happen, we will see that the Holy Spirit can still be counted on to give good gifts to the body of Christ for the work of Christ. May it be so, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's Sermon of the Week. Be sure to follow us online at fbcdecatur.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a blessed week.